Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I got through that. Good job. Man. Uh, I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. You can buy your guitar gear at westminstereffects.com. You can join the discussion of the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. Follow us, comment, Facebook and Instagram, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, etc. And you can support the show at anchor.fm. And we even appreciate a dollar a month. Mm-hmm. Joining me in person is... Hey, everybody. It's Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. And it's just us two today. Old Lutheran John uh, once again is unavailable. It's th- There seems to be like a month every year where you can't and then a month every year where john can't (laughs) where it's just stuff catches up and Mm. everything kind of hits the fan uh but that's okay Mm. uh you know i want to say something before we get started oh i I gotta and i meant to tell you this before we started recording but now it's on the record it's on the record (laughs) but I, i got an email this week from um a lady who listens to the podcast and um she she wrote to me about some things going on, um, got my email, I guess, through the website, and um, I won't get into all that, but just simply expressed how much she appreciated the podcast. Oh, good. Um, good. And had been listening. And and I, and what I wanted to say about that is that it was just a, it, it, I don't know, it was good to hear that um, I appreciate all of our, you know, guitar gear junkie listeners yep. in the yep. podcast lounge but that's not all who's listening to this absolutely you yeah know, there are people from other churches that serve in different ways that uh, maybe aren't so into the you know gear and and guitar pedal kind of things but yet this podcast is still reaching them and so that's just yeah. really encouraging that's and awesome yeah and if and she's I listening shout out keep listening we're glad absolutely. we're glad this has been a blessing to you yeah they're I get at least one or two emails or messages a month yeah. with that kind of stuff. I'm like, people still listen for some reason. They do. They do. <laughs> and uh, I usually send them out to you and John, and sometimes I forget. But uh, yeah, so thanks for listening. Keep on keeping on. Really, really happy-go-lucky subject today. <laughs> but it's but it's pertinent uh, since this episode will come out two days after Easter. Yep. Uh, so we're going to talk about death and funerals today, uh, but then like we can also touch on the resurrection a little bit. Uh, the we, We're missing some of the tea up because John's not with us, and he texted me about a funeral he attended and how he, he doesn't like uh, open casket funerals. He's like, I believe you. <laughs> you know, uh, he's like, what am I supposed to do? Like, go check? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um... But the the reality is, unless unless Jesus comes back and immunitizes the eschaton, to use mm. the big words, um, <laughs> <laughs> because we have to at some point. Yeah. Um, unless Jesus comes back first, we're all going to die. That's all right. seven and a half, eight billion people <clears throat> on this planet, just like the billions before, mm-hmm. are going to assume room temperature, mm-hmm. as Rush Limbaugh put it, mm-hmm. <laughs> or as my grandpa used to put it. 
their toes will turn up. (laughs) 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 And so so part of the Christian life, uh, part of church ministry, and it sounds morbid, but it really is the case, is we're kind of preparing people to die and meet their maker, right? Yeah, I think I think the way I would say that is differently than how you just said it. Yeah, um, which is nothing new. Yeah, it is to say that part of the gospel is thinking well about physical death. Mm-hmm. There's good news for us in that. There's joy for us in that. Not in spite of it, but in it. Paul would say, for me to depart and be with Christ is better. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's better. And so um, the Psalms declare that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So there, there is a, a sweetness now for us in death because of what Christ has done. And, you know, we're on, on the heels uh, or, or on the precipice of Resurrection Sunday where w- what do we celebrate? We celebrate that Jesus rose, he walked through death and out the other side, and he did not rise as a spirit. Mm-hmm. He did not rise with a brand new body, a different body, I should say. He rose with a renewed body that still carried the scars of his death, and he was very much, save the trip to Emmaus, recognizable to those to whom he appeared uh, after his resurrection. So there, when you know, to celebrate the gospel means that we also celebrate that physical death is not the end of my existence. It's not the end of my identity. Right. Nor is it the end of my, I'll use a big word, corporeal existence. Love it. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> Insert and, hand clap, John. Uh, and, and it's 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 really uh, providential. Like all of this is kind of coming around. Um, my my life group, we're we're going through the Apostles' Creed, mm-hmm. and just so happens, quote unquote, that we're getting to on the third day he was raised from the dead, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about First uh, Corinthians. We're going to discuss that big chunk in First Corinthians fifteen. Mm. Um, you know, if, if Christ hasn't been raised, then you're. It's not just that the dead aren't raised; it's you're still dead in your sin. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Like that's how big of a deal resurrection is. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's see. Where is it? Uh, crap. Well, while you're thinking, yes. Um, for Paul in First Corinthians 15, Paul presents that in the negative. If the dead aren't raised, we're to be most pitied, you mm-hmm. know. And because you're right, there is no hope for us in death, and there's no hope for us in our sin. Yep. Um, but but his point is not. It's not negative. It's uber positive is that, no, the dead are raised. And so there is this great hope for us. And there is this great joy even in death. Right. uh, Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And in that state, once we die until Christ returns, we will still be longing for and anticipating the 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 bodily resurrection that Christ has already experienced that is our that that is that is our hope that we will experience the same thing we when we see him we will be like him 
right? We will be transformed. Exactly. Our lowly bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. And so I think we, we cannot talk fully about the gospel without without its implications for physical death, which, like you said, we're all going to experience save the return of Christ. Right. So in 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the resurrection, uh, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So when Jesus comes back, all of the dead will be raised, mm -hmm. and then some to eternal glory, some to damnation. Mm -hmm. um, so... Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and authority and every authority and power. Mm. Um, and then 25, a lot of, I think, a lot of, well, a lot of people put, for he must reign, thinking that this is after mm. delivering the kingdom. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think he's saying this is a continual reign, mm -hmm. right, that, that's been going since God has made him both Lord and Christ. Right. Um, and he, but he's also talking about he's referencing Psalm one ten, mm -hmm. uh, and Jeff Durbin calls this God's favorite Bible verse <laughs> um, yeah. because Psalm one ten is quoted more than any other passage in the New Testament. Mm. Um, he says, "For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet." So that's mm -hmm. what Jesus is doing now. Yep. Uh, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Is death. He's already conquered it. Mm -hmm. But in the future, he's going to outright destroy it. Outright destroy it. Yep. And, and like the, this is this is kind of like I don't know. Like I think about Colossians with you know Jesus dragging Satan through the streets naked, <laughs> the the public spectacle mm -hmm, mm -hmm. portion. I think that's Colossians too, mm -hmm. where where this is the Christian life isn't just uh, you you talk about like punching your heaven ticket. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. waiting to die, mm -hmm. just kind of trying to, you know, skate by and then, okay, I'm done. We'll mm -hmm. just go to heaven and be a disembodied spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it's interesting, like the, the last enemy to be defeated is death. So does that mean that death is still our enemy? In one sense, I would say, yes, it is. Right. But yet there's so much in the gospel that lets us know, I mean, we sing about it in that great song in Christ alone, no guilt in life, no fear in death. And when someone dies that we know and love, we do grieve. But Paul would say, we don't grieve as people who have no hope. So yep. there, there is a very real sense in which Jesus has already snatched the teeth right out of death. Mm -hmm. There is no fear in death for us. We can welcome it. We, we don't fear him who can simply kill the body. Fear him who has the ability to cast you into hell. Yeah. Well, we know in Christ we're not going to be cast into hell. Right. So we don't have to be, fear those who may kill the body or death itself anymore. Yeah. And that, that kind of gets into, I think, the, the funeral aspect mm -hmm. uh, where it's, it's either – you only have two options. You, the, a funeral can either be a celebration within grief, mm -hmm. right? Or it can be grieving as those who have no hope. Exactly. Those are really your two options. And, and I've been to both. Me too. Um, where the most vivid explanation, I can, I can give a, a non-believing example and a Christian example. <clears throat> so uh, the non-believing example was, you know, I have a friend, uh, 
Her brother died uh, of a drug overdose. Nobody in that family is a Christian mm. like at all. Uh, and that guy really didn't have any friends. He was kind of a deadbeat dad type. Um, uh, but, you know, the the funeral home chaplain was the one who presided over the service and basically came down to, yeah, he was a good person and he really didn't mean for this to happen. And I'm sure he would want you to know that. Mm. And that was really what it was left at. Yeah. And it's just like, this is absolutely hopeless. Um, and then the believing example, uh, which kind of hits at reformed theology I had uh, I only coached this this guy for one year uh, when he was in seventh grade, and then I moved on uh, from Southside Christian for a little bit before I came back for the last three seasons. Even though I'm not there right now, uh, and he was uh, he walked on at College of Charleston to play baseball. Coming back home uh, after the fall semester, I think it was his freshman year, uh, he stopped to help someone stranded on the interstate mm. and they got hit by a truck mm. um mm. so obviously him being a christian mm. he was raised in a southern baptist good southern baptist church uh so that part was hopeful mm. but then the pastor effectively said was this god's will and he's like i don't know and i was just like are you kidding me right now yeah um, yeah 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 it it <clears throat> i'm telling you um Funerals are one of the most challenging and one of the most rewarding things that I do. I can imagine. Um, I and I have done so many funerals, and when I say done, I've I've officiated or yeah. you know been the pastor in charge of so many funerals and all types of funerals. And you know, the, for lack of a better way to say it, the easy ones are the ones where the person was, you know, well into their um, late years of life yep. and died <clears throat> a, what you might call just a pretty normal death and was definitely, or we, we, we have extreme confidence that person was a, uh, you know, a born again Christian and yes, there's grief. Yes, there's tears. But we can go in and celebrate the hope we have and also celebrate a life well lived. Yeah. Those are the easy ones. But the hard ones, you know, for example, um, this was probably 10 years ago or more. Uh, Mary's one of Mary's first cousins who was in her mid 20s, I think, at the time uh, committed suicide. Mm. And this is a young lady who had pretty much her and even, even beginning in her adolescent years battled tremendous drug and alcohol addiction and all manner of debaucherous living uh, that it, her life was plagued by it. And it was really the byproduct of the sins of her father, her father, yeah, you know, there's just no, there's just no sugarcoating it. He was a dirt bag, first mm -hmm. class dirt bag. Um, and just, I, I can't even, I can't even say the things that he did uh, in his life and did to her. Yeah. Um, now, during the course of her life, there were, um, there were multiple times where she evidenced true repentance and faith in Christ. Um, and those 
moments, which, you know, I don't know how many exactly, but there was a handful of them. Those moments were always sandwiched by a tremendous amount of destructive choices mm-hmm. and lifestyles and sin, sinful behavior. Uh, and, that, and I would say there was way more sinful, destructive behavior than there was evidence of true faith and repentance. Right. But there was still evidence of true faith and repentance. And so when she, in a drunken, overdosed stupor, pulled out a shotgun and blew her brains out, and I'm sorry I'm being graphic, but I'm just, th- this is, this is this what is happens. Reality, this yeah. is reality. When she did that, the question was raised by Mary's aunt, Mary's uncle, and others, where is she? Yeah, which is which is a perfectly valid question. It is a valid question, and I'm asked to do the funeral. Mm. And um, so I I don't know that I've prayed and thought more about what I was going to say in a funeral than I did for that one because you know one of the things that I was taught you know in in Bible college and then in my early years of ministry by other seasoned ministers was. Don't you dare get up there and preach somebody into heaven. Yeah. Like that. And and I even read an article recently, I think it was by the Gospel Coalition, that was talking about that very thing. The 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 gross, wicked disservice that pastors do to the people who are sitting in the audience. Oh yeah. When there are serious questions about a person's salvation to go in there and give people false hope. Mm. That that is it. That is dangerous. Uh, That's dangerous for those souls in the audience. Now, I I had to be careful because not only was this a tragic situation with a valid question, this was family. Right. Family. And so prayerfully what I did was I I got up and acknowledged it. I just pulled the the pink elephant into the middle of the room. (laughs) Um, There are questions here. Mm -hmm. We know that Sarah lived a life that was full of the fruit of sinful, destructive behavior that is not of God. And yet we know as her family, there were these moments where she seemed to have genuine repentance, genuine affection for Jesus, and for certain spans of time in her life was sober and worshiping Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so what? where does that leave us? And what I did was I said, look, it's a valid question, and here's all I know for sure, is that God is good. God is just. God is righteous. He only and always does what is perfectly right, and we can trust Sarah to him. Yep. I mean, it's really... That sounds maybe oversimplified, but that's where we have to land, is that we trust God. Right. We trust Him in that question. We trust Him in that just incredibly sobering and weighty question of where do people like Sarah end up? And, you know, the question's even been raised about Ravi Zacharias, which is a valid question. Absolutely valid. And and I think that's that that's a question that can have implications for how we think about our own lives, you know, how we think about our own struggles and and the struggles of others, and our our trust in God to do the work of sanctification in us. But I think it also brings us back to the fact that we trust God when now we see through a glass dimly. 
and then face to face. We don't, we, there, there are times when it's like, I mean, I've done funerals where I'm just being honest. I'm pretty certain that person did not enter into eternal rest. Right. Right. I mean, I just know. And in those kind, those situations, my, my approach has always been to just, uh, make much of Jesus to the, those that are sitting in the audience because that person is completely and totally in the hands of God. And even still, we trust God. We trust God to do what's right and righteous um, and not, not compromise on his holiness. Uh, he is a God of justice and he is a God of mercy and those things are not intention. Right. Um, the, the simplicity of God. Yeah. It's like everything in theology touches. Um Real quick before we move on to the Inquisition, uh, there are some funerals that they're just happy. Oh uh, man! But then there are also times some of some of my favorite family stories actually come from funerals mm-hmm. where where something just so ridiculous happens, uh, and because of the moment, you're just like, that's just going to stick with you forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, like one of one of my favorite stories is uh, my. My grandfather's funeral, and I was in, I was a senior in high school, and it was at McPeter's Funeral Home in Corinth, Mississippi. I think mm-hmm. you may have heard this story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The funeral home director was one of the most eccentric people I have ever met. He wore tuxedo pants every day, yep, and a necktie for a belt. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and nothing he did was subtle so when he was directing his ushers or whatever like he would i can't do it on an audio format but he would like (laughs) point really hard and then kind of make a a super firm gesture of where he wanted them to go yeah Uh, but he was telling us this story of how my grandpa's uh my grandpa had a bunch of brothers growing up and one of them uh, was killed in a car accident in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And so he asked my great-grandma, hey, do you want to get this other brother home from Vietnam and we'll see if we, he, he can serve the rest of his tour stateside. Mm-hmm. So they get this guy home, my great-uncle, and uh, the the army wouldn't let him serve the rest of his tour stateside. They send him back to Vietnam. He takes one step off of the helicopter in the landing zone. He gets shot and killed. Oh, wow. And he's he's talking about how... <laughs> how awful he felt about it. He felt responsible for that death. And he goes, I remember it as vague as a while ago. <laughs> we're just sitting there like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, uh, the other one, uh, I actually wasn't at this one, but the way it gets told uh, was my mom and her sister were at uh, a funeral for my great uncle, and he had a massive heart attack and died in the middle of mowing his yard. Mm-hmm. And so this old country preacher at that same funeral home (laughs) is preaching about, you know, how you don't know when you're going to die. You need to get right with God kind of thing. And But the way he put it was, you just never know when you're going to keel over. (laughs) And they lost it. Like they just start laughing in the middle of this funeral. So what they did was put handkerchiefs up to their faces. Yeah. And they're they're shaking the entire pew. And they've got, you know... You know, old ladies patting them on the back, like, it's okay. Yeah. But they're actually laughing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'll tell you a fun funeral 
um, I did about 15, 16 years ago was, um, was right after I came to res. Mm-hmm. And there's this guy in the church. Um, his name was Carlos. He's Puerto Rican. Yeah. And man, God had radically, I, I knew him when I was a child, and God had radically saved him um, out of a, a really rough past. And um, he fell in love with Jesus so much. I mean, it was just, it just oozed out of him. And this, when I was growing up in this church as a child, you know, on, especially on Sunday nights, they would let people do special music. This is funny because of what we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, Carlos learned to play the saxophone. Oh, man. <laughs> and he learned how to read music. But I'm telling you, Cody, he had zero sense of timing. <laughs> so he would pull out the hymn book and play I'll Fly Away or something like that. And he got the notes, but there was just the rhythm was so off you could not make heads or tails. It was jazz. Yeah, <laughs> and, it, and he would get up and right before he would play, he would say hallelujah, and and he would tell us what he was about to play, and then there was just no sense of timing. Well, <laughs> you know, fast forward years later, and right after I came on staff here, um, he had had open heart surgery, and after the surgery he was doing great, but he got a blood clot and just died just like that. Mm-hmm. And it was very tragic for his family. And, and you know, since he had, after his salvation, he didn't live a, a perfect life. He wasn't a perfect dad or husband or, you know, in, you know he, he made his mistakes. And, and, and we, my family was pretty close with him. And so I was very well aware of those things. But I'm telling you, we laughed at that funeral. We celebrated um, just how the Lord had so sweetly saved him. And found him, and and um, just his love for the Lord, even expressed in some really bad saxophone playing. <laughs> uh, but it was just so sweet, you know, um, and simple and good. And and those are the those are the those are the moments where we really do see that you know the gospel speaks to to our physical death as much as it does anything else. And there is hope for us. There is joy in it. I, I don't love the way in our culture in particular, we outsource so much of, um, you know, what, what happens after someone dies. We want to pretend like death doesn't happen at all. Yeah. And gravesides become just this real token in and out. And we're, we're it's over in five minutes and we don't really like, you know, I know we got to move on, but I I, I did the, a funeral one not that long ago. Uh, an elderly lady in our church died. Um, sweet, sweet, sweet um, lady who loved Jesus. It was a great funeral, and she had found this sort of organic graveyard that's out near Clemson somewhere. Hmm. And they do no headstones. Everything's hand dug. Um, it it you know they when we got the body to that site which we all had to drive like an hour to get there mm-hmm. you know they loaded it into this old wooden cart and oh, wow. uh the 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 caretakers of the property the lady got on a recorder played amazing grace and we kind of did a little processional to the site where they uh they had actually dug the grave by hand ahead of us my goodness and we did a graveside service there and then they provided shovels for the family and the oh. and the family was allowed to shovel dirt in as much as they wanted, you know. And and it was they didn't fill it all the way up. They just did a few with tears, and at the same time telling stories. 
yeah. you know, uh, and, um, and, and I think the lady was playing on the recorder while this was happening. And when they were done, they, they had had enough. The, the people that worked for them took over and filled in the rest of the grave. And there was something, I, I hesitate to use the word therapeutic about that because that, that, that doesn't get there. But it, there was something really sweet about that. Yeah. You know, like this, this, this is real. This is hard. It's a lot better than seeing a tractor in the background. Exactly. There was something. The yeah. Here. And I'm not, I'm not one of these like, you know, everything's got to be organic people. But they, I, I really liked that because yeah. I, it reminded me of how, how much we outsource in death and try to avoid and not not walk through the process um which is it's, it's part of what god intends for us right right now. so good stuff good stuff especially after easter hopefully you've been to an easter service and if you didn't make it to an easter service go to church you heathen <laughs> <laughs> let's go to the inquisition <laughs> and this is the inquisition where every week we take your questions via a weekly post in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. As is tradition, we start with Brian Morris, who asks, What are your thoughts on the use of the divine name of Yahweh during worship services? Uh, I'm for it. Me not, too. Not again it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there's something weightier about using Yahweh, right? Mm. I, I will say, I think it needs to be used... The only time that I use the name Yahweh mm-hmm. is when it's clear that is what is written in the text. Right. You know, I read from um, Isaiah recently, and instead of saying the Lord, which was written in all caps, I said Yahweh as I'm reading the text. Yep. Um, which is not, it, it, you know, it's not dissimilar to if I was reading a text and instead of saying the English word, I said the Greek word. Mm-hmm. Because that is God's name. That's the name God gave of Himself, um, and so I, I think it's appropriate when it's certainly when it's di- directly referenced in Scripture. Awesome, uh, Ferenc Zindley, you got to tell me how to pronounce your name. You still have not corrected me. <laughs> asks, uh, is apologetics important, and why is it important? Is there a point in getting to and uh, in getting into debates about various topics? And he says clarifyingly he's not talking about twitter warfare but actual sit down debates Mm. i I think there's definitely an appropriate place for apologetics um i think the the writ or the danger is that we confuse apologetics with gospel proclamation um yeah i think that you know the gospel is it is what it is and we're heralds Right. We're not debaters. When we preach, the word preach, when when the Bible talks about preaching the gospel, it's simply the word proclaim. It's the word herald. We declare, and he who has ears to hear, let them hear. And I think, you know, Peter at um, Pentecost, for example, which to me is one of the best evangelistic sermons in the whole Bible, he, d- he doesn't get into a debate with anybody. Right. Th- this is what it is. This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, that gospel proclamation was the means through which God called some to repentance that day. Um, so I just think we can't confuse the two. Uh, I'm not saying that apologetics couldn't be helpful in evangelism, but we need to make sure that we understand that it is supplemental, not primary. Yeah. Um, there's, I think it's first 
Peter 3, which is normally our typical apologetics verse of always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that you have and do this with gentleness and respect. Uh, what people leave off a lot of times is setting apart Jesus as Lord in your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually quoting Isaiah of setting apart Yahweh as Lord. Mm-hmm. Huh, how about that? Mm-hmm. Maybe Jesus is God. Um, one of the things I really like about presuppositional apologetics is they actually, you know, most uh, apologetics treat apologetics as pre-evangelism, like classical and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But the presuppositional approach says, no, this approach actually is evangelistic in itself. Mm. Because we're saying, no, you know the God of the Bible exists, and here's what he did. Well, and I I don't disagree with that. I I think maybe at the risk it's sounding like I'm you know, talking out of both sides of my mouth. I I heard a pastor just recently, I was watching um, a friend of mine uh, who pastors just across the state line in North Carolina, and he was talking about evangelism. And and he said this, and I think it's so true, is that, you know, evangelizing our neighbor, quote unquote, um, a lot of times is a long process. It's not a quick Usually, it's not a quick, hey, Jesus right. is Lord, and they fall to their knees, and what must I do to be saved? A lot of times, it's a two- to three-year conversation yep. that is probably a mixture of both gospel proclamation and apologetics, presuppositional ap- yeah. apologetics. Yeah. And I think, so those things can definitely work together. My point is simply that um, I, don't, I, I just don't want people to think that they can debate someone into faith. Right. That it's not just about. I think James White has said it this way. It's not just about getting, getting your theological sword bloodied. Exactly. Exactly. That's a great way to say it. Uh, next one from Drew Smizer. What does everyone's personal prayer slash Bible time, family Bible study and worship, and or spousal prayer time together look like? Or any other general advice for discipling chirins? Uh, my word, not his. He said children. Uh, and meeting your spouse's spiritual needs. Mm. So, I mean, let's, I guess let's kind of tackle the the stuff with family and spouses, because uh, I think we've talked about our personal stuff plenty mm. before. Mm-hmm. So, go ahead. So, um, I'll just tell you what happens for me. Uh, Mary and I, generally speaking, more mornings than not during the week, uh, we'll get up early and read scripture together and pray. Yeah. And <clears throat> sometimes, depending on what time we actually get up and get started, my children will, as they wake up, uh, they will come in and join us in the mornings. Mm-hmm. We don't require that of them. Uh, they, you know, if they get up and we're in the middle of it, we invite them to come and join us, and they do. They participate. Uh, so that's mine and Mary's time that our children are welcome at. Um, in the evenings is when, with my children and I, all of us together, is when we will read Scripture and we will pray together. And I, my children are at the age where I'm letting them read. I'm letting them, you know, so, you know, uh, Sunday night or I think it was Sunday night. Uh, we have a, a Holy Week reading s- scripture schedule for our church. Thomas read the text, and we talked about it. And then I asked Thomas to lead us in prayer, uh, my son, uh, who's almost 15. So 
that's how it works for us is evening time with the children, morning time for Mary and I, Mm -hmm. that's what works best for us. Um, and like I said, you know, if I have an early morning appointment, Mary and I may not, right. We're not going to get up at four in the morning if I've got a 6am appointment. So it, you know, there, there are mornings that we don't do it, but Generally speaking, that's what. Generally we do. speaking, yeah. Um, at least with wife and me, we don't have really a set reading plan or anything. But there's always conversation going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we listen to a, a decent amount of the same podcasts, and so we'll be processing some of the same ideas or whatever. And so there's there's almost always constant discussion of these kinds of things in terms of. Uh, Prayer, that's that's something where we need to step up a little bit more. Like, we always pray at dinner, mm-hmm. and sometimes we pray, like, as we're going to bed. I'm not a morning person. Like, I detest mornings. <laughs> so that, uh, <coughs> yeah. ha- having any actual interaction when I first wake up, mm-hmm. isn't it, it would, which is possible, it would take a miracle <laughs> for mm-hmm. me to accomplish mm-hmm. that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know... Just a little exhortation for husbands and wives. Um, find a time, read scripture, and pray with your spouse. Yep. And that, you know, I, I know sometimes husbands, in an effort to be the spiritual leader in their home, feel this pressure. I find this so much. There's Husbands feel pressure to be able to explain everything or have this, you know, I don't know, biblical wisdom to offer their spouse or their children. And so they just don't do it. Mm. They get paralyzed. They get paralyzed by it. And I'm like, just just do it. Just read the text. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to understand <laughs> everything. I, yep. You know, there are many mornings where Mary will ask me questions and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know, and and but but the point you is, you don't have all of those days in Daniel specifically calculated I mean, to on. the second. Yeah, I mean she 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 was reading something on her own um, not that long ago and asked me about it. I'm like, I don't know, babe. I need to dig into that. I just don't know. So it, it the point is, we read texts together, and then we pray for each other mm. and for our children. And I and there's something really sweet about hearing Mary pray for me. Yeah. There's something really sweet about Mary hearing me pray for her. Uh, just do that and let it be a time of worship and prayer. Uh, and 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 it, I promise you, it's it's such a huge benefit to your marriage. Uh, right. It'll change everything about the way you just go about life in general. And not not that that's the end goal. The end goal is to be more in love and devoted to Jesus. Um, but I think that we. We miss so much when we don't let Christ be at the center of our marriages when, you know, you know, praying together is, I think it's essential. And I, there have been times in our marriage where I've neglected that tremendously, uh, but it's been really sweet to, to have more consistency with that. Good stuff. Last question from Justin Tenkate. I don't know why I'm mispronouncing his name. I know him. Uh, what is the most culturally significant medium for theological, I guess you could say, exposition or something like that, but basically talking about social media, print media, broadcast media, etc., in the West, and how might the church best approach it as a mission field? You know, one thing I've been thinking about lately, and I'm going to do this with the brand, is 
TikTok is ripe for the taking. Like it is absolutely exploding right now, and it's not that difficult to go viral on it. Hmm. Um, I know a branding guy who's not like he's 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 excellent at what he does, but he's not like the biggest known branding mm-hmm. guy. Uh, just had a video for one of his clients hit a million views on TikTok, hmm. and uh, their their algorithms aren't screwing people over like Facebook and Instagrams are right now, where you really have to kind of game that system. Mm. Um, but I think TikTok is probably out there, and obviously you're limited to a minute, but that can that can spur on other conversation and digging, I think. And uh, obviously, I think YouTube is still a very viable option because you can just upload practically, not anything, but practically anything you want. Hmm. Uh, and you market it right, and it's it's there for people to find. Hmm. You know? So. so that's the question is, like, what's the best medium for that? Pretty much, yeah. Um, so it's a practical question. It's not a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know if I'm the best one to answer that. I mean, I'm, I know I'm not the best one to answer that. I just, I, you know, I think you would be, what your answer is great. I mean, I, I think if, if, that, if that's the best medium, then, you know, take that and run with that, whoever asked that question. I think, you know, like me, where I'm at right now, right, wrong, or indifferent, um, I don't have a violation of conscience yet about this right now. Is that um, I'm a, I'm a person who has some influence. I'm a, I'm a person who I have I have a wife and I have two kids. I have you know two two to three hundred people who will show up in person and listen to me teach mm-hmm. every Sunday, and a, a smattering few more <clears throat> that listen to the podcasts I'm on. And I just feel like that's all I can handle. You know, it's like I, the, the desire to try to go viral on something mm-hmm. is just not there for me. The desire to, you know, I, I so appreciate the likes of John Piper and R.C. Sproul and and others who have taken advantage of, you know, online mediums to get such good content out there. Yeah. Um, and I, I value that. Um but I feel like, you know, I've said this to you recently, it's Eugene Peterson quote. I feel like I've got my little outpost of heaven mm-hmm. and and I want to I want to concentrate my life and my focus right there. Right. And whatever happens beyond that will be something that the Lord just has to do for me. Um, right. I don't feel that's all gravy. Yeah, that's that's, that's gravy for, for me. For yeah. me. Because I don't feel led to try and leverage social media. And, and other technological mediums to 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 expand my platform. I just don't feel led to do that. Right. And um, if it happens, it happens, and I'll deal with it. But I'm just <laughs> I don't know. That's just me. Right. Good stuff. All right. Well, make sure you subscribe, iTunes, Spotify. Leave us a five star review. As always, we don't care if it's honest. Just give us the five stars, even if you hate the show. And uh, make sure you follow us Facebook and Instagram at Westminster Effects and WestminsterEffects.com. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week.